about feeling fear and still feeling safe, feeling the fear. And even saying to ourselves, I think it's very healing to, for all of us to say to ourselves, even in meditation and reflection, I can feel the fear and do it anyways. I can feel the fear and be safe feeling my fear. What does body tension tell us about how we deal with emotions and trauma? How can we soften our physical shield and feel safe again? How does body work support our body's ability to correct? In this episode, I talk to Idan Harari, founder of Kinetic Body Therapy, who has worked with over 10,000 bodies in the last 13 years about listening to the client's body, the mind-body connection, and what it means to treat holistically. This podcast brings you stories from and about people who stepped into the unknown, stories about fear, uncertainty, the illusion of security, or I don't know, let's see what it will be about. My name is Katarina Bayer, and I will host you on this journey into the unknown. worked with uh, over 10,000 bodies in the last 13 years. And what I found fascinating is that the English language even distinguishes between the words somebody and nobody. And in our modern society or in our modern world, we see our body as a temple, like the mind is, is better than the body. What do you think about that? I think um, it's the way that I go about this and the way that I feel about this. I, I don't want to say just I think about it. I've thought about it a lot, but I also feel that our body is a vessel. It's like a container, you know, and um, I'm also a Kabbalist. So I believe in that, you know, we're this container, this vessel of for spirit, you know, and we also have within us, not just spirit and around us spirit, but also our heart right? So it's the container. And so I, um, I like to think of the body as that, but I also call it body mind. Um, I, I, there's um, Donnie Epstein, who brought that term to light years ago. Um, he said, uh, body mind, because it, it really is no, there is no disconnection between the mind and the body. We've created it, but it's, you know, we want to see if we can integrate that more, I believe. So when we say body mind, that feels more accurate. But all this is just language, right? Um, but I think it's it's definitely important distinctions. But I think it's interesting because we even say like mindfulness trainings, and I'm wondering when there is finally bodyfulness trainings. Yeah, and there, yeah, and there is this. I love that. And there is this uh, quote from uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. He says, "There is more wisdom in your body than in your deepest philosophy." Yeah, I love that quote. I love that quote. He was a very smart man. 
So you call yourself a healing facilitator and you do body work based on Wilhelm Reich and enriched with uh, knowledges about fascia, osteopathy and yoga. And you say that you treat your clients holistically. Can you tell me what that means? For example, if there's a client with a slip disc or sleep problems, what does holistically means? To treat holistically is to treat thinking about the whole right? All parts. Holistic to me is mind, body, spirit, energy. It's everything, right? It's, it's realizing that we are multidimensional beings and uh, treating holistically to me looks like homeopathy where we're working with our body and letting our body heal itself and self-correct um, and working again, mind, body, spirit, rather than let's say Western medicine, which I feel an allopathic medicine is more based on treating, um, you know, it's compartmentalizing and really uh, the opposite of treating holistically. I think treating allopathically, I guess you could say, you know, where you have a pathology, you have a, an illness, a disease, and then you say, okay, let's, let's heal some, let's treat some symptoms. Treat, working holistically is treating the cause, the root cause. And to treat the root cause, we need to take into consideration that we are not just this body. We are not just the mind. We are not just our spirit, right? Um, we are everything, right? So, you know, treating holistically is actually coming to this person who has a slip disc and me telling them, what's going on in your life right now? And when did this begin? When did this start, this pain? And what was going on in your life then? Was there any traumatic experience, right? Looking into, you know, the language of spirit, of, of energy, of emotion, right? And again, not just the body and saying, okay, we're this ro robotic machine. We're like the, I always talk about how we're like people, Uh, physical therapists and doctors and Western medicine practitioners will sometimes and oftentimes treat us as we're like that robotic Terminator from the movie Terminator, but we're not, we're that liquid metallic, you know, um, gel type of like Terminator. Like we are multidimensional. We're not, we're fluid, right? We're not like robotic. I wish it was it's easy to say, That, okay, when someone comes with a slip disc and let's, let's just fix this problem, like it's a, like we're a robot, there's an issue with the structure and we need to, you know, fix this, right? It needs to be fixed. And that's how doctors, Western medicine doctors think of the body. They become, you know, mechanics, right? And they're trying to fix things with surgeries and injections and all these things. That's not treating holistically. Treating holistically is saying what's going on on a deeper level. What's going on for this person in their life, mentally, emotionally, energetically, spiritually, right? Knowing that, okay, there are some people who go for healing to, you know, Christian healers who say, okay, God is healing you now. And they have all this belief, right? And then it's like that mind is so powerful that people heal. And that's working with the laws of the mind and spirit, right? And then there's other people who go get a surgery, right? And so, you know, there's different ways. Right. There's different ways to treat um, humans who are in pain. My specialty is pain. Right. I help people heal from pain and trauma, um, not just physical pain, but also emotional pain. It sounds like you give back some self-responsibility to your clients. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So a really good example of this, if I may um, say, my cousin called me last Saturday with tremendous pain. He's dying in pain. He can't move. He can't get out of bed. He, he literally couldn't get out of bed to even go to the bathroom. And he called me for help because he, he knows what I do. He knows my capacities. And so he said, please, can you come save me? Come help me. Come heal me. I need help. I can't move out of bed. I can't get out of bed. And he was far away. It was at least an hour drive. And I said, you know what? Let me just see if I can do this on a different level. I sat with him for an hour on the phone talking to him about his process. Within several hours, he was able to get out of bed. Two days later, he's totally healed 100%. I didn't touch him. I didn't lift a finger. I didn't run to him and move his body and work with his body and do body work. Anyone who knows um, Dr. John Sarno um, and Healing Back Pain, this book that has helped so many people, you know, knows that, you know, knowledge therapy is, is, is something, is a thing, right? So when somebody's aware and has awareness around their illness or disease, they can heal, right? And our body can heal tremendously well. It knows how to heal itself. And I'm just really well-trained in that. I understand that. I deeply understand this. And I can help people access this level of healing without even touching them, working with just words. Because words are energy. And words are emotion. Words are awareness. It's energy work, essentially. Right? You know, during the pandemic, I was also, because I'm also body worker, I was also not able to touch my clients. And then I thought, like, let's do it over Zoom. But I was very skeptical. But with the results that I got, I was like, wow, this is actually working. You don't have to touch the other person. And for me, the the most important thing was giving them full attention because mm. I think we are lack of we have lack of attention to ourselves that we give us and then somebody sits there with you for an hour and it's just focused on you. This is very healing. Yes, absolutely. So that attention is what's healing. The attention is energy. That's energy work, holding space for someone. I do this. I've been doing this for years over Zoom. People always ask me, how are you a body worker working over Zoom? I have clients around the world over Zoom, and I'm so blessed to be able to work with people from around the world. It's so fun for me. It's exciting. And, you know, the reason being is there's not a lot of people who do what I do and who work with these advanced and cutting edge modalities and techniques. So there's a need for this in the world. And I realized this really quickly, you know, where I realized, wait, there, I, I, I'm trying to refer them to someone in their area. But in Arkansas, there is no one who does what I do in Germany. There's no one who does what I do in this one person's, you know, region. And, and you know, and so I realized, wait a minute, there is a way to translate this and to have people self-treat and do self-care and self-treatment. And I'm really good at articulating how a person should press into their body and how to guide them to self-heal and self-treat because essentially our body's healing itself. So even when I'm working with a client in person, I'm always tapping into the corrective capacities of the body. I'm always tapping into the self-healing mechanisms of this brilliant body that we have. And so if it's me touching them with my hand or having them press into that spot on their chest themselves, it can achieve the same result. Now, sometimes we need 
the person to be fully passive. And then that's when I can do body work with them or I'll invite them to come see me in New York or Miami or LA or wherever I travel. I travel a lot, but um, other times and most of the time it's not necessary. I can actually guide the person to do it on themselves. And right now I'm working with a client here in New York who I'm having him do self myofascial release work on his face because he can reach his face. It's easy to work with the face. So I'm showing him over video and he's doing this on his own regularly. And he's also coming in for sessions, but in between our sessions, he's doing some more work on his own and he's taking things into his own hands, literally, you know, and he, yeah, it's, it's empowering him. And I think it's nice to empower people, not to disempower them and say, okay, I'm the healer. I'm the person who's going to heal everything. No, no, your body's the healer. You are the healer. You can heal yourself. I'm going to show you how. But the person has to have an interest. They have to be interested and they have to have the capacity too. Some people don't. And so that's when I'm going to say, you know what, this is not going to work, right? But um, if the person's interested, then I think as body workers, we can totally work online. And with the whole pandemic, I was supporting a lot of massage therapists and telling them work online now, make some money, work online. Don't sit there and say, okay, I can't work because I can't touch people. You know, go help people, show your clients how to self-treat, you know, but you know, it's not for everybody, right? It's not for everybody. I think it's really interesting because I have another quote from Hippocrates who says, before you heal someone, ask him if he's willing to give up the things that make him sick. And I think this is what you said when you said interest. I have the feeling that a lot of clients, they clinch on their issues and they just want to hand their body over to the doctor and say, heal it and give it back to me. Yes. And I think this will, in the end, never work. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you know what? Um, spirit hears that, right? The heart hear, hears that as I'm not going to take responsibility for myself. Yeah. And so doctors are used to that. I mean, you know, I always say, trust me, I'm not a doctor. Right. <laughs> That's why I learned that in massage school and I'm, I'm always going to remember that. It's great. But I'll say that doctors do disempower their patients. And I think that a really good doctor, okay, there's few out there, but there are, um, is one who empowers their patient to take responsibility. And, and there are doctors out there who will say, okay, well, what's going on in your life right now? Right. There's very few, but there are. I think that ultimately, I, I absolutely agree with you. The person has to be ready. The person has to be willing. Also, the person has to be willing to get out of the victim mentality and mindset. That's a big thing I see. Some people are so connected to their pain and their illness and their chronic pain, their disease, that if they let that go, they're, they're not going to know who they are without that. You know, you say that you work with pain and most of the, the people I met are afraid of pain. And I totally understand that, that we don't want to have pain. You once said, pain is the messenger. We should not kill the messenger. And I think it's, it's, it's great because then we see, hey, pain gives us the momentum to actually, to actually change something. So how can you teach someone to actually see pain as a friend? Well, I do this all the time. Um, how is different for everyone? I think I, I, I take this individualized, not I think, I take an individualized approach. 
to healing. And so that means looking at the person, at that individual and how they're showing up in their body, how they're functioning, what their design is, right? And so for certain people, I can just tell them, hey, what if your pain is just your body putting like on the check engine light, like in the car, right? So the check engine light in the car is saying check engine. It's not telling you you need to switch off the check engine light because you can go to a mechanic, a poor mechanic, a fraudulent mechanic, and he can turn off the check engine light and say, your car is fixed, right? And so you can take a pill and reduce the symptoms of pain and feel that you're better, but you're not resolving the root cause of the issue. So when your body, when our body gives us a symptom or pain, because pain is just a symptom, we need to look at it as a messenger, as an alert. Something needs to change. Do some deep introspective work. Do some investigation. Figure out what's the cause. What's the root cause of this symptom? It's just a symptom of imbalance and disharmony. I always look at these things as disharmonies, energetic disharmonies. And, you know, like homeopathy, it's an energetic disharmony. And the symptoms are just part of the symptom picture. It's not the root cause of the issue. To treat the root cause requires deeper dives, more investigation, more understanding, deeper awareness, and real healing, right? Which What is healing? Becoming whole. Healing is integration. It's integration of mind, body, and spirit. It's not just like something getting fixed. We're not broken. I always say this. We're not broken. We don't need to be fixed. Um, a lot of chiropractors out there, for instance, and physical therapists will be like, let me fix you, right? You're not broken. We're not broken. There's something going on that requires our immediate attention. Our body is yelling now with the pain, with the symptoms. It's yelling. It was whispering for a while. We didn't listen. And all of a sudden, it's yelling. So I always think of the pain like a small child who's nagging you and yelling and screaming for attention. It's like you're, I think our pain is sometimes emotional pain or our soul yelling for support and help and, and assistance and care and attention, right? You're in pain, pay attention to your soul. What's going on on a soul level? In other words, on a spirit level. So I always think in good spirits, are you enjoying your life? Are you in joy? Joy is being liberated as a spirit, right? It's a liberated spirit. It's freedom. It's enthusiasm. It's excitement. You know, spirit is in spirit, right? Um, it's like in spirit, inspired. Are we inspired? Are we living in an inspired life? And if we're not, then of course we're going to be in pain eventually, right? Our body's going to yell. So the question is, are we going to listen? Right? Are we going to listen or are we going to just say, I need to silence this pain. It's too painful. It's really uncomfortable. Let me take a pill. Or I will just have a side note and say that's really important to understand that when you have severe debilitating pain, sometimes you need to take some sort of pain meds to get over it because you can't sit there and feel into your feelings when you're in that much pain. And it's not healthy to be in that much pain. I mean, I've experienced cluster headaches, which is some, one of the most painful conditions known to man. I, I, I know what pain is. Morphine drips in the hospital, in the ER did not help me with my pain. That's how severe it was. So 
I understand pain really well from my experience and my experiences with pain. And I will say that sometimes we do need to subdue our pain so that we can get by. And then we can really sit with ourselves in meditation, reflect, reflection, journal writing, sit with our therapist or a friend and discuss what's really going on. You said that you approach everybody very individually. And there I also see a difference to, let's say, a normal doctor, because they compare you to the average. So when you assess a client, like, let's say you they come for a real session, and you really touch them with your hands, how much is about sensing, touching, trusting your intuition? How do you really assess someone? Well, me personally, Right. This is very personal. I personally use my intuition like 90% and 10% of my mind and protocols and programs and thoughts of like, you know, okay, this could, you know, this is like what I see. This is what I, this is the imbalance I see. Right. But um, most of it for me, I'm very sensitive and very intuitive And I'm also very sensitive in my hands. I can feel when there's fascial restrictions. I can feel when there's energetic blockage. I can feel when the bone is out of alignment and I need to realign it, right? You know, for me, it's mostly intuitive, but I always bring in the mind to check in once in a while. But we all function differently as therapists. I feel like I've met some really great therapists who only use their, their mind and they're good, but I, I still think we need to have the intuition and we need to assess our clients or patients using, you know, taking this multidimensional approach. I think it's also a balance of masculine and feminine, right? The feminine is intuition and the masculine is the mind. So I think it's about having a nice balance. For me, I'm more of a, I treat more from the feminine. And, and how much of what you sense Do you explain to your client? Do you think it's it's important for them to understand it with their minds or does the body just understand and heal? I prefer to integrate it with the mind. So sometimes the body is all that's needed. I can just work with the body and all of a sudden it shifts in the person's mind. But oftentimes I think it's best to get the best results, to integrate with the mind and to bring awareness. So I have a lot of Uh, not a lot, but there's a certain amount of conversation that I have with my clients that is an energy exchange of energy because I think words are energy and it's an energetic transmission. So when I ex explain to the client, like, okay, this is what I'm feeling. Does this feel accurate for you? And then they start to think about it with their mind. That can oftentimes very much so support the healing. So it's good for someone to know, okay, This is, you know, this is what that is, right? Some people are really want to know that. But again, taking an individualized approach, there's some people who are so heady, they're in their heads, they're so cerebral, they need to understand everything. There's other people who just like, they, they don't need to understand it, their body understands it, and then they shift and heal, right? Um, but I, I try my best to integrate both mind and body, and to go back and forth with them with the two. Uh, between the two. And I find that I get better results that way. As you mentioned the emotional part already, how much of our physical symptoms actually have uh, emotional roots? So how many problems are psychosomatic? This is a question I've been pondering for years now. 
And I've been in practice for over 13 years. I feel like I've worked with at least 10,000 different humans by now. And I feel from my experience that over 95% of people's pain is psychosomatic. But I also will say that I'm starting to lean more towards saying that all pain has some form of psychosomatic component. I think that feels more accurate for me. All pain has some form of psychosomatic component. In other words, there's something, you know, unless it's a traumatic injury, you just had a car accident and you have pain from that. But I will say even that there's some people who experience less pain when they've had a car accident and the same person uh, or another person in the same car with the same injury and the same exact blow to the head has less pain because they're less emotional about it, right? So the emotions is just energy, right? Emotion, energy, and motion. And so if the energy is not flowing, then we have pressure. We have a buildup of pressure. We have a buildup of pain. We have more pain. So I just think of it really simple and generally. Buildup of pressure causes more pain. The body needs to be under less pressure. You know, I, I, I heard about um, you, that you actually yourself uh, struggled with anxiety as a teenager. And uh, some days ago, I had a client and um, he said that his aim is to live a fearless life. And I said, why? And he said, it must be so nice to have no fear. And I said, actually, I would not want to have a fearless life. I think fear is is amazing. And I was wondering how you see it. What is what is fear for you? And and did we forget that fear is a thing that actually makes us um, feel alive? And is is like fear trapped the thing that causes this physical symptoms? Absolutely. I think that fear is important for us to have because we can't be walking on the edge of a cliff with no fear because we might fall. So we need to have the fear. Fear is a natural response to being human. <laughs> you know, now too much fear is being is having an imbalance and that's when we can have pain, dysfunction, illness and disease and pathology, right? Essentially. So having some fear is good. I think it's about balance. It's about moderation. Too much of anything is no good. Too much of a good thing is no good, right? Too much light and joy in our life can also be no good, right? And so we want to have balance. And so Uh, as an example of fear, you know, I worked with a client recently who I was pressing into his upper back. And I, what I do is as I press in and really trigger my clients to feel their shit, essentially, I ask, what, what is it? What's coming up for you right now? What's the emotion? See if there's an emotional tone coming up. And so at first it's like just pain, pain, and people can't even get past that. It. It's just pain. But then underneath the pain, I ask them, what's underneath the pain? What do you feel? What's coming up for you? And then I always ask the question, body, what is this? So I have them ask their own body, body, what is this? And I love that. I don't remember where I learned that. But when I do that, then this one client said, you know, I feel fear, tremendous fear. And so what I do is I let him feel his fear, his tremendous 
heavy fear, like fearing like for, for his life, essentially. I let him feel that in the safe container of the session and the professional support that I was giving him. And he's able to feel it and feel safe feeling the fear. And then the fear started to dissolve. And then the area in his body started to soften. And all of a sudden he was fine. He was totally fine. He, he, he didn't have any more fear in that area. And then a week later we worked together and I pressed in and that area was soft. It still was soft and supple and mobile and free and open. And so what I do is work with these energetic blockages in the person's body. I, I can feel where there's a stuck piece of energy, almost like a, almost like a energetic cyst or something, you know? And so I go in and I engage it and I engage the person in the right way, in a very careful, specific and precise way so that the person can really feel their shit, <laughs> you know, and in a, in a sacred, safe space and container of a therapeutic session with a professional who's essentially a guide i'm guiding them through this process like we're walking hand in hand through the forest and there's some scary things that we're gonna come up to and so i'm gonna be there like i got you i got your back you know like literally i got your back you know right it's about feeling fear and still feeling safe feeling the fear and even saying to ourselves, I think it's very healing to, for all of us to say to ourselves, even in meditation and reflection, I can feel the fear and do it anyways. I can feel the fear and be safe feeling my fear. Because I think there's a difference during sessions that I got. I felt fear and it felt very nice. But the fear that I don't like is I think the fear of fear. Yes. So a lot of us are scared of having fear. And I think the more that we come to terms with the fact that fear is a normal, natural human emotion, then the better. Just like sadness is a normal, natural human emotion. We have so many people who lost a loved one or they broke up with someone or had a divorce and then they're in deep sadness and they're trying to stop being sad. You know, or the doctor is going to give them an antidepressant. No, 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 no. This is really bad. We need to feel our sadness, feel our pain, sit with it, let it naturally heal. Now, if the person's been sad and in grief for a year uh, or for several months, and then maybe they need to shift, right? Then maybe that's when you need to say, okay, let's shift out of that state of sadness. But I think the more that we understand as humans that sadness, joy, anger, frustration, which is a mild form of anger, boredom, confusion, these are all natural human emotions that we need to be experiencing on the daily, on the regular. If we don't experience all these emotions, we are not raw and human and we when the more that we're not human and we try not to be human and try to be like a robot we're going to end up being stiff and rigid like a robot. If you want to be soft and supple in your body like me, because I, I, I pride myself in that I'm so soft, open and supple with my movement. I move my bones and 
interesting ways. I'm also a dancer, right? I love dancing and moving and I'm, and people are always like, wow, how do you move so well? I move well because I'm supple and I'm supple and soft because I let go of my rigidity. I've done a lot of work to release this heaviness, this rigidity, this inflexibility of mind, right? And body. Sometimes I have the feeling that we we lost this joy of being a body. When I remember how much I loved to be on a swing when I was a kid and how much I laughed and I just wanted affection and I asked for it. And now I feel like when we are adults, we, we are afraid to tell others what our like physical needs are. Yes. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I literally give a prescription to my clients that the prescription, and I used to have a little notepad that said prescription on it. It's really cute. It almost looks like a, like a form that of a doctor, like a prescription form. And I would write on it, like dance, play, you know, roll around the floor with your dog, right? Like there's certain things that we need to be doing as adults, especially so that we're not adulting too much because too much adulting leads to too much stiffness and rigidity in the body, which leads to pain and discomfort and illness and disease and pathology. So very important that we access um, spirit and that we are inspired And movement and play and fun and laughter, these are ways to release the pressure. We have a common person that we are a fan of. I think it's uh, thousands and millions others, but it's Gabo Mate, who I once saw a video and since then I'm a big fan. And is it correct that you even once gave Gabo Mate a session? Yes. So I gave Gabor Mate um, a, a few short sessions. It wasn't a proper full session. We, uh, I met him at an event um, at this co-working space that I used to work from uh, here in Manhattan and New York. I was telling him about how the body therapy that I do helps to heal trauma. And he's a big fan about healing, of healing trauma. And so I gave him a demonstration of the work. And then he, later in that evening, he spoke about it in his talk about how, you know, myofascial release, you know, is, can be tremendous in helping people heal from trauma. And so that was exciting. I also, uh, so I met him, you know, two or three times. I gave him and his wife a ride home from one of the events one night. And we were having a, with a friend of mine and we were having a conversation with him. It was great. It was really like an honor. Um, I think he's a very interesting man and he, I, I like his ideas um, and thoughts on trauma. I don't agree with him on certain things. Like uh, lately I've been finding some disconnect in a few things here and there, but most of his teachings on trauma and addiction and recovery is brilliant. I think it's brilliant. And I, I share with my clients sometimes I have, I like his book, uh, When the Body Says No. That's a that's one of my favorite books of his, um, and I think it's I, re I recommend it for people. What I like about him is that he really shows that when we're feeling very helpless to be exposed to something and we suppress our emotions, that our body doesn't get the signals anymore, uh, or it doesn't show the signals anymore, and. 
for me, one signal that I think that, for example, in, in Europe, a lot of my clients are, are repressing is anger, an emotion that you talked already about, because for them, anger is always outwards. And it's not a nice thing, but I experience anger as something making me very present. But coming back to Gabo Mate, my favorite quote of his, and I'm a big fan of quotes, as you already see, is yes, love un it. <laughs> unresolved trauma is transmitted trauma. So how important when you work with your clients is it to resolve the, the, the trauma and why is body work so great to resolve trauma? I feel that the root cause of a lot, a lot of dysfunction, illness, disease, and addiction, even addiction, where it's something that I didn't talk about before, um, and Gabor talks a lot about that, I feel like the root cause is trauma. It's this traumatic incident that happened to us in our life, which was traumatic to our nervous system. So mentally and emotionally, it may have not been as traumatic as we think. There's people who come see me who have no idea that they were traumatized. But then in a bodywork session, all of a sudden they feel it come to the surface. They see, they have visions of when they were five years old and they had this experience that was an event that I like to say, like in homeopathy, had never been well since event. Like they've never been well since then. In other words, there's a glitch in the nervous system and our, the, there, there's a process that started that did not complete. Healing trauma is about completing that process, about going in, feeling the same feelings that we had through that extreme traumatic experience in a safe environment in our adult bodies. And then all of a sudden we clear it out and we resolve that trauma and it's no longer this heavy weight on our chest or on our backs or on our heads, right? We have different places that we, we, we hold our traumas in our bodies. And so the body work that I do is about putting a mirror in front of this person and letting them feel into the trauma and the traumatic experience in a safe environment so that they can heal from it. And healing from it is integrating from it. Again, it's, it's, it's having this effect where Again, they're feeling safe and supported while they're experiencing those extreme sensations because emotions are just sensations. And again, these emotions that we experience in a traumatic event, we suppress them. And, and that's the issue is that we don't shake it out like an animal does in nature. You know, there's this really common example of like how animals in nature, when they go through a traumatic experience or a life or death situation where they're running from their predator, for instance, once they're done with that, they shake it off. As adults, we don't, we don't shake it off. And so on my treatment table, my clients shake a lot and they move and they go through cathartic releases. Not everyone, right? But a lot of them. And what that's about is about releasing that energetic charge. It's about discharging the energy. And that's what I do with my clients in kinetic release therapy. I call it kinetic release therapy for a reason. It's about releasing. It's about releasing that energy. It's about discharging the energy and becoming liberated in our bodies again, becoming free. 
Peter Levine even works with the shaking, right? With soldiers who come back from like post-traumatic experiences. When you said trauma, I recently discovered for myself that when like trauma is something different for everybody. Um, but if you, you have a trauma and you're still dealing with it, what for me already is a safe space is I survived the trauma. And when I for, was four or five years old, it was maybe too big, but now I'm a grown up. And if I face this trauma now, I feel it, face it in a safe space. This was really helping me because I survived it already. So my body can yes. handle it. Yes. So I look at it as the traumatic experience caused us to put up a lot of muscular or soft tissue armor, right? And we put up this armor It's to protect us. Our body goes into protective mode, which is fight, flight, freeze response. It's protecting and locking up and putting up this heavy armor. Now, when we go in and feel that in a safe environment and we resolve that trauma, that looks like a softening of the body, a reduction of the pressure to the energetic buildup of pressure. So I really do think that a lot of our armor is because of the traumatic experiences. Because anytime that we feel unsafe, we tense up to protect. Once we're safe again, we can let go of the protection. But the thing is, is unfortunately our body doesn't know that it's safe now. It still thinks that it's in a deadly situation, a scary situation. It still believes that it needs to hold and have this holding pattern. That's what I work with. I work with holding patterns. This holding pattern, or this, or this, in other words, attention pattern, is coming from the fact that our body felt unsafe in the battle. But the battle's over, and your body is still unsafe. It's like you're carrying a heavy shield. Like I always think of Game of Thrones, like you're carrying four or five heavy, heavy shields. Each traumatic experience is another heavy shield that you're carrying around with you every day, all day in your life, and you don't realize it. It's too heavy. Let that shit go drop those shields and become free and realize that we have a super high tech thin armor that we're wearing. We're protected. We don't need, I think of the fascia as that, right? We don't need more armor. We don't need to carry all this heaviness. We don't need to carry heavy shields. The battle's over. Drop your shield and relax. Go have a drink with your buddies, right? Like that, like I think of Game of Thrones. I think it's a great, a great analogy. I love that. I came up with that one day. I'm like, this is awesome, you know, because really it's about, that's what it's about. It's like, how can we let go of the heaviness? That heaviness is what weighs us down. That's what causes pathologies. Yeah. Another book that that uh, was very inspiring for me next to um, When the Body Says No is The Body Keeps a Score. Have you ever? Yes, of course. That's a classic, Bessel van der Kolk. And I think Peter Levine, you mentioned him before. One of my favorite books is Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. And that really teaches all this, like uh, this basic understanding of trauma and uh, how trauma shows up in our life. And so... The Body Keeps a Score, brilliant book. Bessel van der Kolk was a brilliant um, author, writer, educator. He's a great educator. Um, I did read this book. I think it's, it's along with Waking the Tiger, it's like a classic. It's like the, the book you want to start with if, you wanna, if you're interested in this, in this work, right? There is one thing that I even wrote down because that was something for me that I had to read like 10 times. 
Uh, and I still, I mean, for me, it's it's one thing that every parent, I think, should know. He wrote that when we feel safe and loved, our brain specializes in exploration, play and cooperation. If, on the other hand, we are frightened and feel unwanted, our brain specializes in dealing with feelings of fear and abandonment. So this is for me the armor that you were t- uh, saying before. Yes, precisely. Working with a client means like tapping into uh, an unknown journey with your client, I guess. So do you also have no agenda beforehand? And how do you silence your mind? Because you said you work like 90% with uh, intuition and 10% with your mind. How do you do it? It's a good question. Um, First off, I catch myself going into my mind and planning for the session where I think, okay, I'm going to do some myofascial release with this client today, like a little more of that than the, uh, let's say, acrokinetic work, which is like partner acrobatics work. Um, you know, and I catch myself and I remind myself what I was taught by one of my mentors, John Barnes, uh, who's a myofascial release, you know, specialist and physical therapist. He says, don't plan a session never plan a session. We had no idea what we have no idea what we're going to find in that person's body on that particular day. So if you make a planned session, if you, if you plan a session, then you're, you're, you're already starting with, with just fail failure, right? Like it's not going to work. And so it's about tuning in and being really super mindful, present, whatever you want to call it, right? But really it's about being with that person, listening and seeing them and being with them. It's about listening rather than doing. I think most of us are doing, especially as, you know, I started off as a massage therapist, you know, you go to massage school, you learn how to do, you you do the, the protocol, you cookie cutter approach of how to go through the body and massage different areas in this sequence in this way. And that's doing, that's not listening. When I started studying orthobionomy, which is the osteopathic-based manual therapy system of healing that I'm trained in, as I am an orthobionomist, I know it's a mouthful. Um, when I started learning that, I was I was learning, it took me six years part-time of, of 500 hours of learning this, this technique. I learned a lot about listening, about slowing down and listening. I, I kind of, uh, there's a really great thing that I learned about from one of my teachers about how we want to listen to the space between the notes or like the space between the words. So it's like I go over to someone's head and I'm about to work on their neck, but then I take a pause and I listen and I feel and I tune in and I tune in energetically. And I see what I feel. And then all of a sudden, when I do that, I'm like, oh, something is pulling me to their left hip. And I'll go to their left hip and there's a blockage there, right? And so that's kind of how I work, right? It's about, it's about pausing, slowing down, tuning in, listening, and, and building that awareness, right? It took me a long time to build that type of sensitivity and awareness and to have that quality of touch. It's all about quality of touch. I teach and mentor therapists from around the world over Zoom how to treat their clients or patients. And, you know, um, 
I, I really teach a lot about quality of touch. How can we go into our hands? How are we going into our hands as therapists? Yeah. And when I listen to you and when I see what you do uh, on Instagram, I think um, what you're saying is the attention that you have for your body is already the preparation when you work in the sessions. Because how can you be in the mind when the whole day what you are doing is being bodyful? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, I'm really good at being in my body because I'm a dancer and mover and movement artist. I love being in my body and moving. Like last night I went skateboarding on my, my carver board. I, uh, you know, here in New York along the boardwalk. And, you know, I, as I was doing that, I was thinking about how, damn, I've been thinking way too much today. <laughs> I've been in my mind too much. And this is like, you know, these types of activities and like dancing and skateboarding and slacklining and surfing and, you know, all these things that I love doing, they put me in my body. They throw me into my body, into a flow state. Right. And when we're in a flow state, flow state of mind, that's when we are, I feel connected to spirit, to our body. That's when we're not in our heads. And I think that's the, one of the secrets to healing. I mean, there's a guy I know who, uh, Stephen Kotler, who healed himself of Lyme disease by just surfing every day. Like literally healed himself of Lyme's disease because he reset his nervous system. Because each time he came into his body, when he was on the wave, when we're on a wave on the surfboard, we're not in our heads. We're not thinking. We're not stressed. We're just being. We're, we're feeling, right? We're in a sense listening. What's the wave doing? Where am I going to go? We're, we're there. We're so, so damn present, right? Because we're scared that we're going to fall and get hurt. We can get really hurt if we're not present, right? So doing action and adventure sports is something I love doing because it puts you right in your body. And you can do this with juggling. You don't have to go and, you know, you can't have to do crazy things like me, slacklining and surfing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, I think that it's the more that we're in our body, the better, because we're just way too heady for our own good. We're way too cerebral. We think too much. The, the mind is like a computer. And if it's just too much on you got to reset it sometimes you know you got to switch it off you got to let it rest otherwise it just gets overheated and it doesn't work so well it slows down but you gave me already some things to think about but also to digest um this um space before um starting because i also tend to just go and do And I think then sometimes you're not listening and listening is giving attention. So I have three last questions for you. My first question of the last three is, what is your biggest fear? Mm, my biggest fear? Wow, that's a big question. Well, one of my, you know, one of my biggest fears... Um, Huh. You know, right, I'll say right away that there's a part of me that keeps thinking, oh, well, I don't have too many fears, like even fear of death, right? That's a big one for people or fear of public speaking. I'm not scared of those things, right? So, so, um, but I would say, you know, to be really vulnerable and honest, I, I, something that came up for me is one of my biggest fears is to lose my mind again. Like, in other words, to get 
because like literally when I was 21, I had a mental breakdown. I had a psychotic break and uh, some people will call it a spiritual awakening. <laughs> There's different ways of calling this, uh, but essentially one of my biggest fears is to lose myself to my mind again or like lose my mind, you know? And I think that it's required for us as humans to, to lose our mind sometimes so we can come back to our body, right? Sometimes I tell people, lose your mind. It's good. You're, you're too much in your mind, lose it. But then for me, you know, when I think of like how I lost my mind, I lost grounding. I was totally ungrounded. I was, I was not rooted in my body. I was, I was in the ethers. I was floating in space, you know, and this can happen to sensitive people like me, highly sensitive people and traumatized people too, like me, you know, I've been through some traumatic experiences growing up. So this happens where we, we just exit, right. Where we exit the body and we're like, fuck that. I don't want to be here. This is too painful as an experience. I'm going to leave. And that's what I did when I was 21. And when I came back, my life changed. It was a big pivot point for me. But but there's definitely still some fear that, you know, I, I kind of want that to happen. And I will tell you that that fear is a good fear because it keeps me away from doing mind-altering substances that will throw me off balance, from drinking alcohol regularly, from from doing too much caffeine, drinking too much caffeine, from lack of sleep. So this keeps me healthy. It keeps me nourished, balanced, aligned, and knowing that I need to take care of myself. So it is a good fear to have. I'm glad I have it. Second question, what are you currently doing that you still don't know how it will turn out? I'm selling my apartment and I'm, I, I, I'm going to have to move and figure out where to, you know, get a new place. And I don't know if I want to rent or buy. So yeah, that's, that's kind of like a big thing for me. It's right in my front of my, my awareness right now. And the last one is not really a question, but I have a book here with, I guess you know it already, a lot of nice quotes because I'm a big fan of <laughs> Me too. I love quotes. I think it's so cool. I love it. So what I will do is I will flip through the pages and you will say stop and you will comment on the quote that you accidentally picked. Cool. It's not, no accidentally. It's, uh, it's all meant to be. <laughs> Let's call it, yeah. Yeah. So I will just start and you say stop, okay? All right. I'm going to pick a quote. <laughs> stop. Do you want to go left or right? Right. And there are four quotes. Which number do you want? One is on the two. bottom, four is two. So it's from... <laughs> Lionel Richie. Oh my God, I love Lionel yeah. Richie. Hey, I love Lionel Richie. When your past calls don't answer, it has nothing new to say. Ooh, I love that. First off, I love Lionel Richie. I grew up with his music and one of my first concerts ever in New York City at um, Madison Square Garden with my dad when I was a kid was Lionel Richie. And then I'll say that We talked about trauma. That's our past, right? And so Lionel Richie knew what's up. He knows what's up. It's true. I mean, going into our past, yes, it can give us, I think there's something to unpack here. There, there are ways to get medicine from going into the past and resolving trauma 
But if we're too much in the narrative and we keep going back to the past, then that is very harmful. It can be very harmful. So Lionel Richie understood this. Awesome. I'm going to go play his music after this. (laughs) That's great. So I say thank you um, for talking to me. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please follow me on Facebook at Podcast Into The Unknown or on Instagram into underscore the underscore unknown underscore podcast. You can listen to this podcast on www.intotheunknown.at, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from.